Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news, and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business, and help professionals like you on your path to long-term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talk Time with Max Contact. I'm your host, Sean McIver. I am delighted to be joined today by Anna Magalia, Creative Change Leader and Head of Customer Experience at Hurdle. I would offer to do an introduction, Anna, but that always feels a little bit selfish of me to do all of the talking to start with. So in actual fact, I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind introducing yourselves a little bit about yourself and just a little bit about your background, if that would be okay. Sure. Hi, Sean. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. A bit about myself, a bit of a strange journey into customer experience, as probably all of us, because it's a pretty new area for the industry. So when I was growing up as a child, I was really passionate about numbers and metrics and mathematics. I'm very visual, so I was passionate about geometry as well. And I did a bit of programming back back in the days, even before the internet, because I'm a bit old. I'm in the beginning of the millennials. And with that, around my teenage years, I was looking at my career path and where I was going to uni. And I didn't want to sit in front of a screen for the rest of my life, ironically. So I decided to study geography and travel. But that nicely led me a couple of years later into outsourcing. I had the opportunity, I'm originally Romanian, I had the opportunity to work in outsourcing back when there was a boom back in Eastern Europe. So I started frontline in a service desk for a travel tech company working for offering support for a very specialized product. I worked in SME roles growing up, and then gradually I grew into a team leader, project lead, what we call today account management. And what I learned from outsourcing was actually the meaning of analytics and process mapping, because it's a very strong culture around it, especially in business process outsourcing. It helped me define my leadership style. It helped me understand how I can manage people. Of course, it's not all about numbers, most definitely. But having a strong scorecard and having strong metrics helps you understand how your team performs. Also, having customer insights and understanding, doing analysis on tickets, root cause, and all of that lovely stuff brings you insights into your end customers. And last but not least, the vendor management relationship is led by numbers, by SLAs, by KPIs. And that was my beginning into the customer support and customer service journey. About a decade ago, because again, it took me a while and I'm old, I moved to London and I changed career direction a bit and went into fintech startup, completely different, started my own team in support. And in a couple of years, I decided to get to know the dark side a bit. I call it the dark side because I went into process improvement where I got to know 
sales and product life cycle. I got very close to it. I understood the nitty gritty and the backgrounds of it. And at that time, my company was working with an external company that did what I heard at the time was a customer experience audit and supported us on strategy. So in my mid-30s, the Anna in me had that real spark of, oh, this might be my dream job. This is what I want to do when I grow up. It was the click that I needed because in support and in other functions and in other roles being customer facing, I understood the what I need to do with customers. I understood the how. But when I was exposed to actual customer experience, I understood the why. And I actually saw how this all leads into improving a customer experience and having a happy customer at the end of it. That led me into a role in actual customer experience where I had the opportunity to lead programs, do research, map insights, lead voice of customer programs. Uh, I learned a lot and it was absolutely lovely. And fast forward to today, just to wrap up at Chronomics, I have the opportunity to do a bit of both because I was missing my operations. I was missing the day-to-day. I was missing being close to the customers. So I'm leading the contact center, but also looking after the customer experience part. And last but not least, I'm working remotely. So that thing of not being in front of a screen every day, I didn't think back then that I could actually take my screen with me. And yeah. That's a plus of working remotely. So that's a bit about me. Wow, what a journey. Thank you ever so much for that, Anna. It sounds like you've had a really clear focus both on data and the customer journey in many of your roles from very, very early on. Uh, The process that you've been through and the exposure that you've had to the various processes along that journey, I think that's going to form a big part of what we talk about today. So I'm going to start at where we are right now in terms of your career. So right now you're the head of customer experience at Hurdle. Can you tell us a little bit about Hurdle's mission? How does customer experience fit into that mission and how central that is? Sure. So at Hurdle, we offer remote health testing and diagnostics. What Hurdle does, we have created what we call a bioinfrastructure that contains both the logistics and the technology to enable businesses to offer their customers, their patients, their employees, offer them health testing, the ability to do it without going in clinic. So anything regarding at-home testing from diagnostics that we have enabled with our technology to the entire health test journey. Wow, that's really interesting. And it's funny because when I was doing my research for this conversation, and again, it's been reiterated with what you've just said, it's one of those things whereby even at the highest level, if I think about going into any kind of medical scenario where there's going to be a test done, I go in and someone else does generally something obscure with something very expensive, and then I get a result. And when you're talking about the scenario that you've just described, actually, I can't I genuinely thought about this ahead of our conversation, and I can't think of a more critically important aspect of customer journey that you have to get right. 
Because if people are going to be doing this in their own homes, they need to understand what they're doing. They need to understand the process. And it has to be really simple and straightforward. And again, I'm going to not to leverage it too much, but I guess an example of that is what we saw with the at-home testing through the pandemic. The packs that had to be created and the steps that had to be really clearly laid out for people and numbering everything. And I hadn't ever really considered that as part of the customer journey through that lens before. And it was really enlightening. That was something that really struck me. So in the two years that you've been at Hurdle for two years, can I ask what what it was that initially attracted you to the company? You mentioned about finding your why. Was that related to this? It was indeed. It was a bit of a personal reason. So I was telling you about my passion around numbers and metrics. A couple of years ago, I became quite passionate to understand about my health a bit more, of course, with some medical reasons behind it. And these days, I'm one of those that's very keen on understanding my health and my performance. I have an activity tracker that I'm addicted to. I love my app. I love my numbers. And with that, I also did some research of some health tests that I could do that could help me understand my health before I needed to go to a doctor. So before I joined Chronomics, I actually did a lot of competitor research because I've taken quite a few tests. So it was a very smooth journey and very natural for me to join the company. When I heard about the mission and I heard about what the company does, it was pretty much me being part of this mission of enabling end users to understand their health and to understand their, to have the data and the insights to manage their own health. It might be based on a diagnostic or it might be preemptive for medical conditions. When I joined, we have actually gone through a rebrand. So when I joined about two years ago, we were under trading under the brand Chronomics. So we were part of the pandemic. We were doing at-home testing for COVID from the LFT at-home test to PCRs, the ones where we were delivering the result through a lab. So as you can imagine, joining at, at that time, during a pandemic, was a bit of a dynamic environment, to call it. And also, it was very emotionally engaged because it was during the pandemic. The personas have changed a lot because it was very different for everyone. Everything was new. Nobody knew how they could handle things. And plus, we were a startup with new systems in support, with new products going in the market that we needed to validate. So it was a very, very interesting journey to build that and to get to the team that I have today, where we're continuing to support the mission. That's incredible. Especially the scenario that you've described, I can't begin to imagine how the complexities involved, not only as a startup working remotely within the field that you've just described, under the circumstances that you've just described. I mean, that's a perfect storm in some ways, I imagine, in terms of the configuration and the challenges that you must have faced. I guess through that lens, my next question that follows on from that is, so you're presumably sitting down day one, 
in this new role in this business. Walk me through your process for mapping and measuring these critically important customer journeys, I guess, in two parts. Number one, can you maybe give me an example of how you mapped a customer journey and how that information was used? And then the second part, I guess, which we'll come on to afterwards, is how you measure the effectiveness of those touch points along those critical customer journeys. And how do you measure that, the metrics that are involved? I realize that's a lot. We can split that into parts if need be. Apologies. Sure, sure. No, it leads pretty nicely. So when I joined, looking at the business itself, we had some numbers around our selling volumes and our customers. And we had quite a few customer support inquiries that we needed to solve, but we didn't necessarily know what they were. They were just quite a few. So one of the first things that I looked at was mapping the end user journey from the moment that they were purchasing the product to having it delivered to their home, taking the test, looking after their results, and then using the results afterwards. Pretty much that still applies, that journey still applies today to any kind of at-home health test. What I looked at afterwards was mapping that against the support ticket lifecycle. So pretty much every ticket that was coming in, we labeled it where it fell in the journey. Also, similarly, we took the customer content and the knowledge base, and we took each of the knowledge base content and mapped it against a step in the journey. What that gave me In a week or so, because the volumes were high at the time, I already knew in a journey with seven steps that my highest volume of ticket was in the delivery step when the customers were getting the kit at home. So it was the logistic part. It was around 40% of the tickets that were there, which was good. So we got the view of where our main triggers were. We didn't necessarily know if that was actually a problem or just a customer that got stuck in that journey. So we added one more dimension to the ticket research with the customer, trying to understand if it was an actual problem or there was information missing. Of course, we were young in the journey. So we identified a lot of improvements in there, working with product to improve the US, to guide the customers, make sure that they understand what they need to do and where they can track. But one of the things that we put in place at that point was making tracking information available to users. We didn't have it. So they could just click on a link and see where their parcel was. This instantly reduced the volumes to our contact center. Similarly, we looked at knowledge base. We were measuring how much volumes we had in a section of a journey, how much volumes the knowledge base was diverting, and how much were becoming customer contact. So working in parallel, we created more and more content and made sure that the customers had information available before contacting us. But I think One of the main things that all this journey mapping and percentage aligned to it gave us, helped us prioritize the critical moments in the customer journey. So it helped us know when we put in real-time channels and we prioritize them because we couldn't support everyone at that point. So we flagged in the chatbot journey, 
if the customers needed the results in a couple of hours or if there was something critical, they would be prioritized, similar with the phone journey. So that's what it gave us. And that was based on the numbers that we instantly had from a ticketing system. These days, I think most ticketing systems give you that. So it was quite easy to align it to the customer journey. Wow. I love the fact that you took what to many people would be distinct and separate areas of information. For example, the knowledge-based content, the support inquiries, and kind of overlaid those on top of each other to give you that kind of multifaceted, holistic view. And you were able to then from there narrow down and say, okay, this is an area we need to be much, much better at which I think is fantastic. And I guess that allows you to make the greatest impact for the quickest amount of turnaround. And you're widening those bottlenecks as quickly as possible, particularly in terms of customer journeys. That's always an important aspect of it and putting the throughput there, which I think is fantastic. I suppose one of the challenges that I've got with this, and again, if you'll forgive me, this isn't my particular industry of expertise, but one of the things that I find fascinating here particularly is that With health, that is obviously the most personal thing to any individual is their health. So I guess one of the challenges there is how do you balance the need for personalization and to ensure that someone feels valued, recognized, ensure that it's it's a high-touch customer experience with the challenges of what is essentially a remote at-home testing challenge. How do you balance those two things? And I guess, what role did the analytical process play in in arriving at those solutions? It's not an easy balance to achieve because, again, every individual is different. And when it comes to your health, the need that you have for information and for connecting with the company that's providing the product can be different. It could be high touch, but it could be the opposite. Let's think of the scenario where we're talking about SDI testing. In that case, you might just want a very anonymized journey where you self-serve, where even when you interact with somebody, you just send an anonymous message, you got the results, you're clear, you're fine, you move on. Now, on other tests and different personas might require more extensive support. So in that case, again, we looked at automation. Technology these days gives us the ability to do a lot of things. One of the things that we've done was to connect to our customers via video at the time that they were taking the test, helping them to follow the instructions and also guide them step by step. Because again, instructions, as good as they are, they're up to a point because the drawing on an IFU could not necessarily match the actual components that you have in front of you. So we have taken that route as well guiding them through and we have that ability of course not to mention these days everyone's a fan of chat portals phone for certain personas so we can be close to our customers also one of the aspects that is now in the health industry and for at-home testing is mobile phlebotomy what that means is that the health professional like a nurse would come at the scheduled time in your home and would help you collect the sample. So that is an option 
that you also have if you don't want to conduct the sample yourself, or it could be for certain tests, you actually cannot. A nurse will literally have to come and collect it. Or you could just go in clinic to have it collected, but in a specific time that you scheduled and it would just be for part of your testing journey. So there's a lot of options. Now, again, you need to balance customers' needs, efficiencies, and costs, because of course, all these options give you the flexibility, but also the product is a bit different, right? Wow. Yeah. It's interesting what you were saying about personas and the fact that obviously within the process, you need to account for the different personas. And we see this, and well, if you forgive me from referencing through my lens of experience, if we think about in broader contact centers, if you have a wide age range in terms of your customer demographic, then there are certain customer demographics who simply won't use a chat application or won't feel comfortable using a video approach or would much prefer to simply pick up a phone. And you've got the polar opposite. You've got groups of individuals who would never in a million years think of sitting on hold on a phone to talk to a company. And I guess applying that same principle to those customer journeys and again, getting that balance between this is how we meet the customer where they need to be. However, balancing that with, I suppose, the not to be too clinical about it, if you'll forgive the pun, but the return on investment, the ROI, we would love to give everybody the opportunity to have someone come to their home and do the test for them, but that's not realistically viable from a business point of view for every person. So the identification process needs to be fluid and effective. I suppose one of the areas where I have a bit of a blind spot is around baselines. Now, obviously, within this, you need to understand where you are now, where you're trying to get to. And when you're setting baselines, how do you go about doing that? And I suppose maybe the better question is, from your point of view, if you wouldn't mind, Anna, why is that important? I think baselines are the blank canvases where you're starting from. I think they're important. Everyone sees the importance of a baseline because if you want to go somewhere, you need to know where you're starting from. So I don't think anyone negates that. The thing with setting baselines is how you actually measure them and what you're looking at. So it probably brings back to the discussion of choosing the right metrics, because in customer experience and in customer support, we can very, very easily get overwhelmed with metrics. You have a lot of indirect support numbers. You have a lot of customer feedback, voice of customer numbers. You have a lot of analytics everywhere. So when setting baselines, you need to choose the right metrics first. And linking into your topic, even with our products, launching new products and bringing them to market, I always like to take the customer journey and revalidate it, map the making sure that all the steps still apply when there is a new health test that's coming to market. Because you could say that saliva test that was for COVID, the journey might be a bit different for a blood test that we're doing these days and so on. So I want to make sure that not just the journey, but the ecosystem behind it, the teams that are working on it, the logistics, 
everything still remains in the same place and each product might have a different journey. So each product might have a different baseline to start off from. Okay. So if I can, and maybe this is putting you on the spot a little bit, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. In terms of baselines and having different baselines for each of the products, depending on what it is you're looking to achieve and what it is you're looking to approve, I suppose in your experience, has there been a particular scenario where the metric or the baseline has really surprised you or taken you aback in what you've seen in the data? It has, and probably not even here. I think one of the things in setting baselines is understanding the as-is and understanding where you are. And it probably didn't surprise me that much, but it might have even surprised the wider business even more. Reason for it is, in terms of as-is, even if we do the day-to-day that maps the as-is, until we ask, especially as management, we look around and I'm like, oh, yes, of course I know how our customers are feeling, right? I'm the head of, of course I know. But until I ask my team that's directly interacting with the customers, uh, the customers and preferably also the teams that are tangent and are working behind it, logistics, IT and so on, that's when I'm going to get a full picture of as is. One of the things when setting baselines that surprises people, you would say, oh, support ticket. It's just a number. It's simple. We want to reduce support tickets. But that number might mean so many things. First of all, support tickets could include requests from a vendor that are not actually support tickets. And they might not even be from a customer. They might be from a partner. So make sure, because these days with the analytics, you might have a lot of filters in there. And once you look at progression of a metric and of a number, make sure you're measuring like per like. So just question and look at the metrics that you're starting from. It could be a very simple one. And I don't want to overcomplicate things sometimes. Just take the basics. These are my number of support tickets. My sales is increasing, but I want to keep the same ones. But measure like for like. Make sure the filters and your definition of customers and your definition of products and go to market is the same in each of the moments that you're measuring. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm still kind of replaying over that in separate baselines for the different elements, because again, one of the things that in my experience in some roles I've had previously, it's almost been, and without wanting to be too dramatic, but it's almost been one metric to rule them all. People try and measure everything with a single metric. And for a lot of cases, I worked for a large company across several departments and they had a retention department and a sales department and they had a service department. And within that that role, they wanted one metric across everything. And it never sat with me that it didn't make sense for to having a single metric because you're measuring different things. Success means different things in those environments. And so that's just resonating with me quite a lot there, Anna. Indeed. And again, I do think that sometimes as a business and as a department, you need to have one or two metrics as objectives, as goals, as targets, and also to monitor and track the performance. You're going to need to select one thing or another. However, you, my recommendation is, and again, going back to using the 
technology that we have available today, right? When thinking of how successful is support closing a support interaction, you have so many metrics around it. You have the indirect support metrics, which is average response time, because that matters, right? Average handle time, how long did it take for us to resolve it? You have average handle time, average resolve time. How many times did you follow up with the customer? You also have if we provided a resolution or not, if we provided a workaround or not, and last but not least, because you're not on the phone with the customer all the time, if the customer acknowledged the solution that you got. Because maybe they don't even know you provided the solution and they don't know. On top of that, you have all the voice of customer metrics, where I'm not keen of overwhelming the customer with a lot of questions. Don't put surveys everywhere in the journey because it might dilute the message. Because again, the more we want to measure, let's get the right. You have a CSAT maybe for customer satisfaction at the end of the support journey. You have complaints. And then you need to pick a metric out of all of them. Just pick one, one indirect one, maybe the average time to resolve and maybe the CSAT or just pick the CSAT. But when you're presenting it, know your insights, know your numbers and present the whole context behind those numbers to the business. It could be that for each product, you just track the CSAT. I'm not a big fan. I would prefer to track something else. But whatever it is, It doesn't matter. Go with it, but make sure you know the background of it and you also track all the other numbers. And all the numbers need to reflect the DNA of your business. Don't just do something because it's trendy. Everyone does MPS. Oh, my competitor does MPS. So good. Let me take my MPS and compare it. No, do what works for you as a business and do what works for your department. Don't reinvent the wheel. Use the ones that are there but do what works and make sure that it's understood by you, by your team and by the rest of the business. And if needed, of course, it can make a nice story externally as well. Yeah, I really like what you've just explained there. And one of the things that, again, as you were discussing this, playing in the back of my head, I was thinking about, for example, the metric that you've just mentioned, net promoter score or customer satisfaction. If you look at either one of those in isolation and whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, that could be driven by it took multiple touch points to get a resolution, or it took too long to get a resolution, or the resolution wasn't clear or was very clear. But if you don't have that holistic view of the various different aspects of what make up that score and the various different ways in which that can be affected and the numbers that sit behind those, you're just looking at a single number with no context. So, Yes, you can, if a business chooses to, it can measure a single metric, but you need to understand the influencing factors on that metric. It can't just be looked at in isolation, number go up, number go down. That doesn't track in the right way. So I really liked that there were some fantastic ideas in there for some really key quick wins, pick a metric and look at it from a holistic point of view and all of the influencing factors there. I suppose I'm aware of time here, but we're going to go over just by another minute or so. Are there any other quick wins for organizations to capture customer data and to understand and effectively improve customer experiences that we can suggest before we kind of close out? So a 
bit ironically, I'm going to reply to this one. What I think is a quick win is whenever looking at building a strategy, and it doesn't actually matter what department you're in. It doesn't matter if you're in support, in customer experience, in finance, anywhere in the business you sit as a leader and as a manager. The quickest win is to understand your business metrics first. Take a step back. And look, I've been surprised on how many managers just dived in. Oh, how many support tickets do I have? What's my CSAT? Stop for a second. Understand what product are you selling? Why are you selling it? Who are you selling it to? Who are your customers? Why are they purchasing it? How many customers do you have? And last but not least, understand the pricing and understand what your company makes money from. Very, very basics. Have those basics set up, put on a spreadsheet separately, and then start building your department strategy. Understand your customer, understand whom your company is selling to, and then you'll be able to just dive in and fix all the support journey problems and all the mapping that you need to do. That's amazing. I think that's a fantastic starting point for any business is to, and it resonates a lot with me from many different conversations that I've had and other people I look up to in business. It's that principle of start with why. And that's always resonated with me. And I really like that. Unfortunately, much as I would love to continue the conversation, Anna, um, unfortunately, we have reached the end of our session. I would like to take an opportunity to say thank you ever so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you ever so much. It's been fascinating to talk about customer experience, the customer process, and your experiences of what you're doing in this very dynamic and very rapidly changing area of the industry. It's been amazing to talk to you. Thank you ever so much. Thank you very much, Sean. It was lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thank you. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening.